Hello and welcome back to the Blind Shots Podcast. I'm your host, David Hill, coming to you from Kearney Hill's 14th tee, the site of the last 300-yard drive I ever hit. Downhill and with a huge downwind gust, it was a thing of beauty. And this is Season 3, Episode 8. This is literally the last thing I'm doing before I hit the road to my happy place down in the sand hills of North Carolina. Today I'm bringing you the second half of my conversation with Kearney Hills pro Chris Boysell where we get into the effects of the Grow the Game initiative, the other 90% of us regular golfers, and what it takes to make and keep the game fun. So without further ado, here's Chris Boysell. You mentioned earlier some of the other facilities. You have worked at a distressed facility. You've worked at a, a privately owned daily fee, but that also had members. Yes. And then you're now at a, a municipal, a city-owned golf course. Are there significantly different metrics for what a successful year or a successful season are in those different situations in your experience? Oh, yeah. Uh, okay. Vastly. Um, Talk to me so, just a little bit about that. Yeah. So I've been fortunate uh, to actually get a lot of experience in a lot of different assets of the of the industry. I've actually, besides even that, I've worked golf retail. Mm-hmm. I've worked practice facility uh, retail at Man of War. I've I've worked private. I've worked semi-private. I've worked resort. And I've worked municipal. Okay. I've actually got a chance to see kind of a little bit of everything. Right. So my big challenge when I first came to the city, again, when I first came, I came to Lakeside Golf Course, um, which does do the most total rounds of the city golf courses, including Kearney. Right. Um, It's a different mindset at every place you go, and especially with this city. Obviously, we're trying to be as financially and fiscally responsible as we can because it is the taxpayers' dollars that where the money comes from. Um, But there's not the desperate need as you had at Thoroughbred, which was High Point, because that's privately owned. Right. There's a a profit incentive. There's a profit incentive. So those places are operated and run just slightly differently based on those kind of goals. Right. Like Man of War, again, is a profit center. Yeah. You know, at the, the, the end of the day, they're, they're trying to... To make money. To make money. And same thing with most, you know, golf courses in the municipality. There's that fine balance, and that's what I've always really wanted them to kind of give me direction on really what they want this place to be. Because at the end of the day, this is not, Kearney Hills is not Chris's golf course. Right. It's the city of Lexington and the citizens of Lexington's golf course. Yeah, you could run it as a cutthroat to make as much revenue as possible. Uh, but here's my, the city's listening, if my council person's listening, here's my thoughts on it. And I want to get your thoughts on this. One of the tensions I have with the, the city golf courses and the and municipalities everywhere is that for a lot of the parks and recreations departments, all the attention is on that first word, parks, because they think, well, we're not. That's they spend less money on the par, on an individual park. It's seagrass, mow grass, make sure the playground equipment is safe. Maybe do a trail now and then, versus, you know, the parks are not competing against private enterprises. I wish there was more emphasis sometimes from the powers that be on the recreation part of the parks and recreation. Like the men's league, one of the things I love about our men's league, a lot of people walk. Yes. So that's $20 a head that you're not making. And I'm going to, yeah, I walk for the walking, exercise. Yeah. I enjoy it. I, I think it's a better experience, um, but it's not for everybody. And, you know, riding in a cart gets, it, that's how some people just consume their golf. But, you know, the, 
How does that kind of tension, that resp- do you feel a responsibility kind of to that recreation side yes. of it? Yes. You just talked a little bit about how that balance works for you. Or- I've actually always felt, use a, use a basketball example, if you get good players, you'll, you'll win. If you try to win, that necessarily doesn't translate into getting good players. If you take care of players, like Coach Cal, I think, has, is brilliant. And the fact that he talks players first, players first, and it angers some of the fan base that he says that. But at the end of the day, if he makes the players happy and people want to come here and high-level players come here, the fans will get what they want and they will and they will win. So I've actually, even beyond here, even though those other places were profit-driven, this is still a recreation. This is a hobby. And I've tried to explain this to a lot of my staff. Not only people are like, oh, if, they don't, if we make them mad, they'll go to another golf course. Not necessarily. There might be some people who go, okay, I don't like – somebody made me mad at X golf course. I'm going to go to another golf course. There might be people who are occasional golfers that go, why would I put myself through that? I'm going to go to the movies next week. Right. Do you get that three or four hours of free time? Yeah. And so, same, same – So I've actually always based everything I've done on the experience of the golfer. And then if everybody has a great experience, then they'll come visit you more often. So same kind of thing with this, where I think that if we give the customer a great experience and we do fun events like Diabolical, that play off the Amtor, that people, people want to be part of, they come out here, they have a great time, that that will then take care of the financial part of the thing. Um, there's obviously decisions you have to make for pricing and things like that that could affect your bottom line, you know, or more and more or less. Um, but I actually have always focused first on the enjoyment of the golfer. And then I believe if they have, they'll come play your golf course more often. You know, I've developed a really good relationship with a lot of people over the years. And a lot of people, you know, people that play in Diabolical don't necessarily come play Kearney all the time, but they played a lot of the other events of facilities I've done. And I contacted those people and they came coming because they knew I was doing a fun event. So it's building those relationships with people, which is actually why I got into this industry. You know, I didn't get in this industry to make someone else a profit. I mean, I'm doing a job, so I'm, I feel like I'm obligated to do that. But the recreation side is, is I think, is the striving point that you have to go first, and then it'll kind of it'll backtrack from there. Well, that, that brings us almost full circle, so I'll get you out of here kind of on, on this thought. Is pub, the state of public golf, is there is enough fun being had? Are we, are we, you know, there was a big surge in players last year because yes. people didn't have anything to do. Is there enough, is that recreation and fun experience being attended to, maybe elsewhere, just in your opinion, enough to, to keep it? Or are we going, do you see golf kind of going back to where it was four or five years ago? This is, again, a personal feeling of mine, not necessarily a, a you know, a, my boss's or anybody else's opinion. This is kind of my, my opinion. I would like that golf is, would eventually be more popular for the masses. I think golf has a sweet spot. I think it did before Tiger, then the Tiger boom have. I think it just goes back to normal. It's a time-consuming sport. People are trying to do things, obviously, to change that. It is a expensive sport. You know, you can grab a, a basketball and go out to the, the park and play, and it costs you nothing. It is a, you know, it is a um, steep learning curve sport. Almost anybody can go and at least throw the ball down the lane of the bowling alley. Anybody can kick it on a soccer field. On a soccer field. So I think even in the best of times, I think I, 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 used, I actually said 2000, 2007 was a mirage. Okay, that big tiger, yes. the, the tail end of the building boom, yes. all of that. I just think everything's going to go back to normal. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with we try to do better and try to get more people involved in the sport. 
I think we should obviously always be trying to do that. But to expect that, I think, I don't think it's realistic to expect where the Tiger boom was or even what happened last year. Again, last year was a uh, product of circumstances. There was literally almost nothing else for anybody else to do. Do you think that lesson was learned correctly? Or did you see, because I see within the industry, there was a lot of exuberance of, oh, golf is back, baby. Yeah. That, I mean, that was, people didn't have anything else to do. Exactly. Okay. And I was kind of, again, I wasn't trying to be the naysayer, but I was like, guys, let's calm down. You can't budget forecast on 2020, the second half of 2020. I said, that's an anomaly. <laughs> I have a personal saying that I said, don't let the exception disprove the rule. I know scientifically that actually doesn't calculate, right. but. This is uh, golf. There's no science in golf. <laughs> but exactly. So I always say that about Bubba Watson. So supposedly Bubba Watson doesn't take lessons, which we can talk about that for as long as we want to. There's one guy in the top thousand in the world who doesn't have, who hasn't taken private instruction. So let's. So you got these guys here that say, oh, "I'll just figure it out myself." What about the other 999 yeah. of the top thousand? Yeah, Ben Hogan was was one guy. He's one guy. Bubba Watson was one guy. One guy. So, so we go with the exception or the same thing. So, I, you know, I my first year at Thoroughbred, it was a uncrazy seasonally warm February. It was like 60 degrees every day in February, and my boss is coming pat me on the back. You're doing a fantastic job, <laughs> and I didn't take credit for it. I fully looked at him and said, I said, Duncan, listen, <laughs> I said, you're going to get, you're happy now. You're going to be mad at me next February. Yeah. Cause you're not going to meet those same numbers. We're not going to meet the same numbers because it's that. So I think honestly, we're trying to grow the game and things like that. I just don't ever see golf being a sport that is so massively to where that some of the high points have been. And I think the golf courses, again, nobody likes to see golf courses go, but it's we've, a pro- we've had it's some attrition here. Do you think we're getting close to equilibrium yes, locally? I do think we are. Okay. And that's, I think that's the problem again. It's, you only have so much pie. We're not getting more pie. They're trying to get more pie, but I just don't know that the pie is coming. Who's, how many people are taken from the pie? They're not, at least they're not building, you know, real estate golf courses locally. I mean, there's yes. some that's picked back up a little bit. Um, and you can you can smile and not answer this if if you want. I know you know the city is trying to figure out what to do with all of its stimulus, its COVID yes. dollars. Is the plan? How is the infrastructure on the golf side? Is that was? Do you think you guys will see any of that or for small improvements? I'm not talking about bringing in Gil Hans to. Oh, I understand that. Um, I haven't. I'm not trying to, to to dodge the question, but I actually don't haven't got any direct information on that. Um, well, there is there has been talks for several years to do a um, to do a uh, possible um, irrigation renovation at Lakeside. It's original from the golf course was originally built from the sixties. The sixties. Lincolnships. Yeah, and I think they said irrigation systems last twenty five years. So do the math on that. Um, and for instance, the bunkers out here need a need a facelift. And if you really want to go far, maybe the Greens doing another several years. I haven't been told one way or the other. I haven't been told yes. I haven't been told no. Right. Whether some of that would be going to hear. And, and another big thing, which a lot of people don't think about, is just the equipment that is used to take care of the place. Some of the mowers I see around this place, I always just laugh. Like, what is this? An antique? Did they find that at the US 68 27 yard sale? And that's something people don't think about. They think about the bunkers and they think about that, but they think what 
made the bunker look nice. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that we where we could really use a, which isn't going to be sexy to the consumer right. from a visual, well, from they won't understand a standpoint, but they'll notice the difference in the quality of the tees being cut and the, the bunkers have what kind of shape they're in and the airification holes for an air fire that's pushing 30 years old. Um, you know, so those kind of things you'll notice, but you don't realize why you notice them. The, maybe that goes back to some of my frustration is the, they treat the parks like low maintenance assets. Golf courses are not low maintenance They're assets. They're not. <laughs> you can, I you try can, to explain that to people. <laughs> you can, you can like the environmental impact or not. You know, we're not putting, I mean, we put chemicals in the ground, but not a ton. We have wildlife on our golf courses we have mm-hmm. pollinator sanctuaries yes we are you know Picadome is the sin eater for where i live it eats all the water that runs off from uk from my neighborhood in southland all over it is it literally without it people think oh they're going to sell that i hear this rumor every year oh the deal to sell Picadome's already done that's already no it's not you couldn't that's a floodplain you think it <laughs> We don't have a lot of flooding problems because we're high elevation here and we're on limestone in Lexington. That would be a one giant flooding problem. It would be. Well, it is every time it rains. Yeah, but you, so you can't do anything with that. That golf course, 18, 10, and 1 across there is a river, not not a, not a stream, yeah. a river. Lost River Cave right underneath, and but it's, yeah, so... Well, city leaders, if you're listening, the, treat these as assets. Yes. They don't necess- have to be profit-making assets. Well, they, you want them to be pretty close. But, yeah, treat them like assets. Take care of them. And that's what I've always said is, you actually said this earlier, is I kept stressing this when I first got here. Again, some people have just been with the city for a long time and haven't you know, necessarily seen outside of it. That's not a bad, that's a bad thing. It's not a knock on anybody. It's sometimes, you know, everybody has different perspectives from where they come from. And I kept, and I've, I've told several people, I said, at the end of the day, there's a lot of people that play golf here have absolutely no idea that this place is operated by the Lexington Fayette Urban County government. And, and, and this thing's going to make a lot of people mad. They don't care. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> at the end of the day, again, you're like you said, it's a, par- a park's a park. But at the end of the day, we are competing against other people. Yeah. They don't want to talk about that because it's kind of they ride a fine line between private government run and comp- you don't want to feel like you're putting private businesses out of business. Which I understand completely that. So they, they to be fair, they're also struggling to. F- they 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 sit on a fence that's actually kind of tough. To be fair, because you can't just go. Because if we really wanted to, I mean, you could be really unfair and do some crazy things and really hurt private business. But they don't want to do that either. Um, but what I've said is, you still have to remember when we get a lot of what I call transient business. If you go out here in the parking lot on a normal day, Ohio, oh, Michigan, yes. Indiana. And at the end of the day, those people, they have an expectation of they want for a golf course of this level, this price. And when they pay something, they expect a product level of X. Right. They don't care who owns it. Exactly. And so you can't put a blind eye to that. You cannot say that, okay, we're going to charge X for a green fee on a weekend at Kearney, but deliver a product that's not equal to what the other local golf courses who are not run or operated by the city of Lexington charge. And you don't want to think of it that way. And it's the same thing with the the profit. They will never say they're trying to make a profit, which they probably shouldn't, right? But I can tell you right now, this is before I came to the city when they were when the golf operation was costing. I'm gonna say cost, not losing. Uh, 
the guy who plays out here all the time that he points that out. He said, when we talk about the pools, they cost this much to operate. For some reason, when the golf is then put in there, they say loses all of a sudden. <laughs> it's funny how that It's works. an interesting how that, that simple word change uh-huh. changes your mindset. You know, they don't say the 911 center loses this amount of money. It costs us. That. It costs us this much to operate the 911 center. Um, and so, but still at the end of the day, the taxpayers are footing whatever mm-hmm. deficit is come. They say that they're not trying to get as close to zero as possible. They say that's not, I mean, they want to be financially responsible. Right. But I can tell you right now, at the end of the day, if this, if the golf courses keep piling up higher and higher debts and it keeps going, now they're going to need to get rid of them. Yeah. So it's, even though it's we're benign neglect, and then all of a sudden it becomes an excuse to get out of the golf business, exactly. or sell one of the golf courses, exactly. or all the golf courses. So they can tell, they can, they can say all they want that we're not about the money, but they are, even though no one will ever admit it, or even if they're not consciously thinking of it. Yeah. At the end of the day, if it becomes such a strain on the on the city uh, government budget to operate these golf courses, even we call operating. They're going to either get rid of some of them or something like, or something's going to happen. So I come into work every day. One, I try to make sure that our golfers have the best experience they can because I enjoy, that's why I got in this business. I work a lot of nights. I work a lot of weekends. I like her work a lot of hours. I could do something else, probably make a lot more money, work nine to five and do something else, but I enjoy it. It's not a, it's not a job to me. So I enjoy that. But then at the end of the day, when they enjoy themselves, they're going to come back and the deficit's going to be a little bit less than it was the previous year and then a little less and a little less and a little less and then I guarantee that these this golf course slash these other golf courses will be here for for my kids and their kids you know down the road and I just feel like I'm doing my part by doing that how long before your son can beat your daughter because I've got a six-year-old and a four-year-old and the little guy's coming <laughs> the, the little guy's coming for Big Brother. Uh, he was swinging a bat at a ball like a golf club yesterday. So, so now he's he's five years behind her, but um, she actually enjoys it a lot. Good. We actually had a parent-teacher conference the other day, and her teacher said she talks about golf a lot <laughs> and how proud of her that she is that her daddy's a golf pro. Oh, that made me feel like a thousand. Yeah, I was going to yeah. say, you got a foot yeah. taller. That's oh, it. yeah. Yeah, that was on Monday. And I felt like, wow. I was like, well, that because, because I mean, and my big goal with her, especially with them, is I want them to enjoy the sport. Because you do find, especially in girls, a lot of high-level competitive girls that once they get through that competition, they don't even know what fun golf is. And they put the sticks away. And that's a shame that you have 24, 26, 28-year-old women who were really good players. There's an article that hit, came out. Adam Shupak did an article in Golf Week, came out today on this exact thing. Wow. Yeah. Talking about the lack of, unless you're Maria Fassi or, or one of these elite elite that you can go straight from college into a, you know the Symmetra Tour or LPGA, there's a desert. Yep. You've got this women's all-pro tour that's scattered all over the country. The playing opportunities for women like men, you can do the Cactus Tour, you can go, you can chase Canada or the Latino Tour. You know, if you can't get Corn Ferry or some of those others, the the the, the vast difference in the, you know, for that person that wants to figure out if they want to play competitively. Yeah. Yeah, and then it's like, so is the dollar amount worth staying home? And and then, but even when they don't, it's just like they don't want to go out and play on Saturdays. And I feel like that's a real shame because again. I know I keep saying this, but 
I love that people love to play golf, and I want to make it fun for them. So there's a lot of things that we didn't talk about, like things I've done to like every golf course I've ever been, where I've changed the yardages, made shorter tees. Uh, we no longer there's, have. There's next season. Don't we, we, we I can come back and see. I you understand, next year. <laughs> but I have a real passion. I said that sit, sit there and said that I don't think the game's going to be as big as it ever is. But I think for the people that do play, I think we 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 owe it to them to make it as fun as we can, and to maybe keep some more of those people involved and playing this game that might walk away. My friend, the, the Australians that I, I work with, said they've decided the natural cycle is, you know, you even if you don't play competitively, you play, you grow up, you follow dad around the country club, or, you know, you go out and you, you play high level, and then maybe you play high school golf or not, or you yes. knock it around. And then you maybe drink beer and play in college, but or if you're a high-level amateur and you, you reach the end of your line maybe in high school, golf, or college, is the game – so for so many, the game's not fun for them all of a sudden. Uh-huh. So they put the sticks away for 10 or 15 years. And then they get into their careers and they have little kids and they yep. don't play, but they get to my age, your age, yes. where yes. You, you're bringing your kid to the course, you're playing in company scrambles, and you kind of rediscover the game in your late 30s to mid-40s. Yes. And that's who golf used to grab. Like you'd grab them right there. You, you The country club membership, you had the, the junior – you know, the junior membership to try to get people under, what, 35. But mainly you were searching for that that white middle-class, middle-aged guy. And there was that desert between high school, college to, yes. you know, your kids are old enough to bring to the golf course. The National Golf Foundation really shows that to you. Have you seen the, have you yeah. seen the charts on that? Yeah. It just falls like that off was, the That was a cycle map. that was just, it, it was almost law because it, it was just time-tested. I wonder if that... Can golf keep that guy or get him back? Because I didn't start. That wasn't me. I'm a washed-up baseball player. Yeah. I picked up my first sticks in 97. My baseball career ended when they handed me my high school diploma, and I needed something to do. Yes. Um, so, I, but for my, you know, my friends that played golf in high school, most of them, I mean, they play five, six times a year. Exactly. It's not even fun for them anymore. It's not. Or they had to be away for so long that it could be fun. Yes. Again. And that's exactly what I'm talking about. And that's what. That's why, again, a lot of things, I'm trying to make things that where people want to get out and enjoy the sport, you know, and, you know, somebody who's played high-level golf just doesn't, maybe, they they know they're not as good as they used to be. And Curtis is probably a great example. He doesn't play a ton of golf, and he's not very happy. He does he shoots 80. Because he was so good at one point right. that to shoot 80 is not enjoyable to him. I can't play softball. Yeah. Because I was such a competitive baseball player. If I go out here with this beer league mentality, and I can't – I'm going to run out of bottom lip to bite because people are goofing off. I want – you know, I can't turn that off. So I completely understand that. And that's why I really – I'm going to try to. I'm doing my best, and then I, I find myself being that parent sometimes like other bodies. But I'm try, I consciously think whenever anybody asks me about kids in golf, I say get them to love – being on a golf course with other people and love being on the golf course and then maybe let them be a little bit competitive with it and maybe that drives them to for their skill development but don't ever lose yeah keep it fun that i i struggle with that because i'm yeah i've one of the nice things that there's enough junior clinics and instruction and and opportunities that i can like i do this with shaolin and soccer i don't i would love to coach all those things but i need them Listening to the instructor, yes. not looking over the sh- over their, shoulder. the shoulder for dad, um, 
you know, be able to take instruction from somebody else and make sure it's fun. They don't need to worry about what I think of it. You know, they talk about this with how many people play D1 golf, how many people actually make the PGA Tour. Those are so small people. And again, I'm not disregarding high-level golf, but the way I feel is there's a lot of people that are already focused on those people. Yeah. So I'll let those people. I've actually made a couple of good players in the area. I wouldn't say I, I wouldn't try to disrespect them. I just told him I said, "Man, I'll be honest with you. Like you're like so far down my list. No offense. I still want you to come and have golf and have a great time. But all these people are trying to satisfy you. Yeah. I'll let them. They're trying. There's so many people that want tournament level golf. You know, make the golf courses hard for the top ten percent. Because that's what they can see. I have the other ninety. That's what they consume on TV. Yes. Can I have the other ninety? Yeah. And I want to make golf fun for the other ninety. I mean, things I did out here, like don't the back tee's a hidden tee marker. I love that. I can't you know, believe they stole your one on four. That pisses me off. It's still on four and seven's gone too now. Seven's the most photographed place in Lexington yep. on a golf course. Yeah. It's such a beautiful spot. That spot. But almost everything I do is is where I put kind of. Again, not that I'm not thinking of them. It's just I reverse the order. Right. Well, there's a lot more. There's so few. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. And then at the end of the day, again, it doesn't hurt that, it, that the more people, there's just more people that more revenue potential, yeah. you know? Because at the end of the day, I still got to try to make, you know. And you don't need to expand the course for 99% of the, no. the people. And like even when I was out here the other day, and it's a lot different than here at Lakeside. Lakeside, I could get away with putting fairways and the tees in the fairways and stuff. It still wasn't a million percent received. I was trying to do as many things as I could. Again, I got, I got, we, we moved right after all that happened. That's what's so funny about this to me. Everybody still, it's kind of bug I'm blown over now, but it was so funny at first when everybody was like, you know, thinking I had something to do with it. I had a huge long term plan with Lakeside. Because that place and this place are different. Right. And it should be treated as such. And then even when I first came over here, Curtis had a conversation with me, and he's like, I know you do real well, like, where people know you and you're the Hebrew. This is a little different because it's a lot of transient. And I was like, I can adjust because I'm not going to run Kearney right. like I ran Lakeside. Um, but I even brought my wife out here last week sometime, and she's a – Okay, so I'm gonna take out all the girls that played high school golf in those. You gotta take all them out. Right. We'll take everybody else that women that play golf. Um, and I'd say she's in the middle of the pack, and she's just been playing a couple years, mm-hmm. seriously, a couple years. She plays in the Meadowbrook League, and even at at five thousand yards is too long. Yeah. And she's only 38, and a lot of the women that are coming out here are significantly older than that. Yeah, I mean, that's your goal. And so she's actually hitting it. She doesn't hit it like the level of a high school girl plays or a college girl. Mm-hmm. She hits her driver. She hits it solid 150 yards, which, believe it or not, 150, 160 yards is longer than almost all those women in it. Yeah. If she can't get to par fours and two, she can't. What's happening to everybody else? One of the, the best quips I ever heard about that was PB Die was on a podcast uh, just randomly that we're sitting in Kearney. He said he would get a lot of people that would come up to him talking about, he went and played Sawgrass and he'd ask him, uh, you know, did you, did you play it like they play on the tour? Uh, you know, ask him kind of what distance they played it. What were you hitting into to par fours? Say, like, oh, did you did you move up to your normal? Team? No, we played it like the pros, man. We went back and played like the pros. Really? So you had wedges and eight irons into up? Oh hell no! We had three woods and, and four irons. Like you didn't play it like a pro. You played it like a woman. And because he had had the feedback of you know, talking to some women around the clubs he worked with, is that none of them had ever hit a seven iron into a par four green. They're like, well, that's not how you play golf. Golf is driver, three wood you know chip and putt and 
yeah, the, the, the yardage for, and so kind of the light bulb went off with him that, yeah, design tees. And that's one thing I do like about here. Now, I don't know. What is the, the front number one tee? 5,000. Okay. So that's, so that's pretty long as far as the that's shortest. What it is. That's what I'm saying. But even there, I always thought there was like, they did a good job placing those. Like yes. Designing. It's not, I will give it's not an afterthought. Yes. Like the, I played from the red tee. It used to be the old red tees. It's an interesting golf course from up there, but yeah, 5,000 yards. I do give them credit for that. They did a very good job on most holes of spacing these out. Cause like you said, at most places it's a complete afterthought. It was a nice high-end private club in northern Kentucky that I played one time, and I said there should be a sign at the front gate. There's actually a – it's a loop. It's, a, it's a, one of the circles in front of the pro shop, mm-hmm. and I should just say there's a sign that says, women and seniors just continue driving. <laughs> because, You're familiar with the long leash system? Yes. Yeah, oh, no. I'm, yeah. I, I'm surprised at how many people you – know, you know me. I want a clean, small little scorecard. We've, I know. We've yeah. had that I know that. Yes, but <laughs> I – I like and respect what they do. You know, I go down, one of my favorite courses to play on vacation is Atlantic Dunes down on Hilton Head, the, the redone Davis Love the Third course. And they did the long leaf system. So you're, you're driving in, and all of a sudden at the top of the fairway, there's not one, there's two tees. they got a green and a yellow up there playing short enough to get kids, to get beginners, women, hundred, you know, octogenarians that, yeah. that can't hit those forced carries and things. Um, Big Spring in Louisville, they did it. Well, I, I assume their membership didn't push back, um, but it, love having, yeah, five thousand. I can see that being a little too, but it's too long. But yeah. this is a championship course. It is, but still, I want a couple that comes down from Ohio in the middle of the week and on a Wednesday, yeah. and the wife's an occasional player. I want her to have fun too. Yeah. Right. Um, you know, again, I'm not lumping all women and saying you know, <laughs> but yeah, there's a big chunk of people that, like I said, they're hitting woods into every like I would play it from 7,000 yards where I'm hitting yes. hybrid or four iron yes. or five wood into par four greens yes. that puts a lot of that's not a fun like it's fun to try once but if that's your everyday experience that's I mean we could literally do an hour podcast on, on this for me because that is huge passion of mine I don't think it's as again talking about running places different I don't think it's as important here mm-hmm. so that's why it hasn't all of the couple things I've done is I added another t- set of T markers and I changed them from colored to numbered. I like, and that's off the long. I like system. that. I really like that. That people get get. I don't say ladies tees. No, I they're say not forward tees. They're forward tees. They're number one tee out here. Because part of it is because I know if I, if Aaron Bradford was out here, she'd be giving me strokes. Yes. For, it doesn't matter what tee box we played from. Exactly. So there's no ladies tee. Yeah, and that's uh, I'm so big on that because I want everyone. And actually, what got me was that exact quote. But I actually had heard it from when the Teat Forward thing first started. This might be the second year or third year. I was at the PGA Merchandise Show and at one of these forums, and I'm almost positive it was the pro at Aronimic. He said he did a big thing with his members, which is exactly what you said. PB said he actually put up a giant because you know they've hosted a lot of majors and then they're starting to again now looks like they have PGA what next year or the year after or something like that yeah somewhere they're in, they're in the loop they're in the loop um, he posted a giant he made a big poster board and he said play Aronimic like the pros play Aronimic and he made a giant thing up there and it said the average tour pro in our first green from the back tee hits an 8 iron or whatever it was right. and he went every single hole and did that and he went to his members and said exactly what you just said a few minutes ago When's the last time you hit an eight iron into one? 
Yeah. Never. He goes, our first crane, he was describing it. He's like, it's elevated, it's got a bunker, there's the force carry. He said, these people are hitting hybrids into this crane. He's hybrids of fairway woods all day, his members. And he said, he said, that helped a lot. Yeah. He said, really? And that's the way I've always said it since then. I was like, you're not playing the golf course the way the pros play it. Yeah, you're playing from the same, you're starting at the same point. Yeah. And I'd even use myself as an example. I'm a medium to short length hitter for my skill level. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I don't play it all the way back. Almost never, depending on where the, again, I go with yardage. Right. I try to stay around 6,500. So if, if Tate's Creek's back to 65, I'll play back to Tate's mm-hmm. because it's only 64, 65. Right. And that's the thing. People get too wrapped up in colors. And, and I said, if I'm who's only a medium-length hitter is hitting an 8-iron into the screen, the average player from that, you know, that's distance-wise in that ability level group right. should be hitting pretty close to that same club in that green. And if you're not, you're playing too far back. Yeah. Because this game is hard, as we discussed earlier. And skilled players have a tough time hitting a hybrid in fairway woods on a green. Now you take a less skilled player, put it man or woman, doesn't matter the gender. Yeah. A fairway wood comes out lower with less spin. It's harder, the shaft's longer. You start going through all these things, mm-hmm. you're not actually getting the same experience. Last time I told you Chris is a fantastic golf talker, and I meant it. What you've heard over episode seven and eight was about a third, maybe a half of what we actually sat down, chatted, and recorded. And we could have kept going. We probably will again next year. So he's definitely a once in future guest. Hey, until then, thanks for stopping by for this episode of the Blind Shots Podcast. I hope you'll join me here next time. And until then, stay safe, be smart. Again, embrace high visibility golf balls in this fall season. And as always, when you have the choice, do decide to go for it and take dead aim.